Welcome back to another edition of the Disney Dish Podcast with Jim Hill. It's me, Len Testa, and this is our show for the week of Schmerz Day, September 25th, 2023. On the show today, news, listener questions, and a survey that might point to the future of the Galactic Star Cruiser. Then in our main segment, Jim tells us about the best Disney fireworks show that you've never seen. Let's get started by bringing in the man who says, stop blaming yourself and learn feng shui so you could blame the furniture instead. It's Mr. Jim Hill. Jim, how's it going? Oh, I'm, I'm so glad you bring up feng shui because, you know, when Disney was making Hong Kong Disneyland. Oh, yeah. Oh, no, they took this very seriously. I mean, there's a mm. great story by Laura Holson in the New York Times back in April 2005, five months before the park opens. And it starts with, in building the new entrance to Hong Kong Disneyland, Walt Disney executives decided to shift the angle of the front yeah. gate by 12 yeah. degrees. Yep. And as it goes on, they say, we did so after consulting a Chinese feng shui master who said the change will ensure maximum prosperity for the park. And Disney then also put a bend in the walkway from the train station to the gate to make sure that the flow of positive energy, or qi, would not slip past the entrance and drift out into the Chinese sea. And, and Len, what this makes me think is I should start wearing a hat that bends so that my remaining hair does not slip off my head and <laughs> go out into the Chinese Sea. You know, that's exactly it. You know, the, did the article mention anything about the automated arms that shake tourists upside down <laughs> for the last set of uh, remnibi that they have? Uh, well, the, you know, that is another maximum profitability feature. <laughs> you know. Disney's like, well, look, you have your ways; <laughs> we have ours. There we go. There we go. All right, Jim, let's do a quick shout out to subscribers over at DisneyDish.Bandcamp.com. Thanks to new subscribers Lachlan Mason, Don Sullivan, Jennifer Benters, and Squishy Mom. And longtime subscribers Lee Stone, Movie Buff, Dory Kimball, and Coaster Art Guy. Jim, these are the Disney wildlife control experts who successfully coaxed a bear out of Frontierland last week. They said the bear was just there to see the jamboree and was never a danger to guests. Unlike the giant squid that sneaks into seven dwarves at night, still all mad about 20,000 leagues. True story. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah, the bear gets all the attention. Well, but. The bear gets all, all the attention. And, and by the way, did you see the video of them relocating the bear to Ocala? I saw the video, but un honest to God, mm -hmm. as soon as I heard from a cast member in the park mm -hmm. that it was a bear, I texted our friend Bio Reconstruct mm -hmm. to scramble the helicopters. And he's like, <laughs> yeah, he's like, Channel 2 is already there. I can't get in. <laughs> uh, but, oh, amazing. Yeah, but still, yeah, that was uh, not what we expected. You no, know? <laughs> no, because it was a female, a sow bear. There were some secondary concerns to the effect of, okay. It, Are there cubs? Yeah. Well, no, that's it exactly. They're throwing the, the bear in the, uh, you know, a, a container and then 50 miles down the road to Ocala. But evidently, they literally had a vet examine the bear and go, oh, no, oh, good. she's good. So, you know, send her on her way. The thing that I heard was at, at one point, I guess the Magic Kingdom was sending guests mm -hmm. over to Epcot, mm -hmm. like, it, it, but before two, before two o'clock, even guests without the park hopping thing. But there was a delay in the communication mm -hmm. between the Magic Kingdom and Epcot mm -hmm. about here's how we're handling the situation. Mm -hmm. So basically, it was like just put them on the bus, send them <laughs> over to Epcot, let Epcot figure it out. You know, we've got we got things over here. <laughs> <laughs> wow. All right. Whatever. You know what? 
Yeah, sometimes you just got to think on the fly. That's what I'm saying. And all of the grisly tourists that get off the bus. So, yeah, let them Oh, my God. Just great. There we exactly. go. Okay. All right. A quick plug for our new show. Uh, Jim and I have been working with Imagineer Jim Scholl for almost two years on a new video series that explains how your favorite Disney attractions got built. The show is called Disney Unpacked. It comes out later this year. And you can see a preview of it at youtube.com slash at Disney Unpacked. All right, let's do the news. Folks, the Disney Dish News is sponsored by Touring Plans Travel Agency. Touring Plans can help book your next trip. Plus, it comes with a free Touring Plans subscription. Check us out at touringplans.com slash dish. All right, Jim. Mm-hmm. Big piece of news, I think, this week is that an, at an investor conference in Walt Disney World this week, Bob Iger announced that Disney would spend $60 billion on parks, resorts, and experiences over the next decade. So that's theme parks and cruise ships, right? Mm-hmm. All right, and uh, that's uh, uh, follows on the heels of Bob Iger saying uh, earlier this year that Disney would spend $17 billion in Florida over the next 10 years. So just for some context, I went back and looked at the last decade of Disney annual reports, which are all online. Not adjusted for inflation, Disney spent about $3.2 billion a year on Disney parks experiences and products, so like DPEP, right? Mm-hmm. But if you adjust that for inflation, it's about $4 billion a year over the last decade. And if you're assuming 4% inflation going forward, $60 billion in today's money is worth about $50 billion over 10 years. So if you look at this announcement taking inflation into account, it's probably a 25% increase in parks spending over the next 10 years. So that's that's good, right? That's better. That's a, that yeah. is a positive thing. That yeah. is. That is. Okay. But is anybody connecting the dots – between the, you know, we make this announcement of $60 billion mm-hmm. and the epic universe thing up the street that we're going to have to respond to. Well, that's the thing. So uh, because of the same conference, Josh Tomorrow dropped Wakanda mm-hmm. in with Coco's Utopia and Encanto as IP that Disney's considering for park mm-hmm. expansion. So, I mean, here's my thing. I don't think Walt Disney World can support a fifth park. No. My comment on this is always they should finish the third and fourth parks first <laughs> before they build a fifth, right? And that's that's, that's true, right? Mm-hmm. Animal Kingdom is still no more than three-quarters of a day park. Mm-hmm. The studios, even, you know, God forbid all the rides are running. But if mm-hmm. they were all running, yeah. you know, that's still like a three-quarters of a day park. Yeah. yeah. Finish those two things off. And there's plenty of room for expansion, right? So, mm-hmm. but again, let's not, let's not lose sight of the main thing. That is a 25% increase in parks spending and cruise ships is good. No, this is a great thing, but I just want to point out one historical parallel. In fact, October 23rd, 1972, New York Times published a story about a $50 million expansion program at Walt Disney World to include a new hotel, 300 campsites. This is also what got funded the Florida version of Pirates, the Space Uh Mountain, all of this stuff. And Len, this came on the heels of Mattel announcing the month previous that they were going to be building a $50 million theme park 10 miles up the road from Disney's Circus World. So history kind of repeating itself here. You know, it's just sort of like, oh, uh, people up the street are doing things. We have to spend some money. So that's definitely one of the things that I thought about. The other thing I thought about is mm-hmm. you and I have talked about this on the show for a while, but mm-hmm. Disney treats its parks as a cash cow, right? Yeah. The parks are generating billions of dollars in profit every year, and that's going to things like let's build Disney Plus or mm-hmm. let's build 
take on, let's buy Marvel or let's buy Star Wars, right? Okay. The money for those operations largely comes from the parks. Oh, yeah. No. Right? And I think Disney finally realized that if we build more stuff in the parks, mm-hmm. that profit in the parks will grow too. Yeah. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Wait a minute. We have to feed the cow? <laughs> exactly. We have, to, we have to feed our cash cow. <laughs> oh, man. I, why has nobody told me about this? Yeah. So I think that's, that's part of it, too. Like if they, if they want more, more money mm-hmm. to come from the parks yeah. to feed other parts of the business, they have to increase spending in the parks to do it. And I think that's the, the other part of the message here. So mm-hmm. very good. Yep. All right. Speaking of money, mm-hmm. our friend uh, Alex Sinek wrote in with an observation that Disney's started to list, quote, market price as the cost of vegetarian and vegan dishes at some sit-down restaurants. So, for example, at the 50s Primetime Cafe for lunch and dinner, mm-hmm. if you want Cousin Harold's Vegetable Garden, it doesn't list a price. It says market price. And the same thing for the vegetarian blue plate special that it's also market price. So, like if you want to know what a pot pie costs, $24, right? You want to know what meatloaf costs, 23 Do you want to know what turnips cost? No uh, idea, right? So, Jim, I mean, here's the good news, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. You have to be up at 7 a.m. anyway to make Genie Plus and individual lightning <laughs> reservations. You can catch the morning farm report at the same time. <laughs> oh, well, there we so go. So <laughs> you'll know what you can afford to eat in the parks. Yeah. Oh, God. If you had told me 10 years ago that planning a trip to Disney World would involve checking the spot market at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange, I would not have believed you, Jim, but here we are. Holy cow. <laughs> Just a, sort of a, a local anecdote to, to key off of this. We had a terrible, wet, cold spring up here in New England, and as a direct result... The apple crop, and this is you, know, you are literally yeah. in. This is apple harvesting season, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's just, yeah. just sort of, it's had a huge impact, and and it has rippled out to the various retail chains. You know, I mean, you know, you go grocery shopping now, and you want an apple, you have to sit down with the loan officer. <laughs> <laughs> so you you have to wonder where other vegetables and fruits impacted, and this is why we're seeing this. But wow, market prices! Yeah, the the uh, now I guess when they uh, when they hand you the menus, there also comes with a FAFSA form, so you can ask for <laughs> financial aid. I don't I don't know how this is working, but whatever. Oh, anyway, God. Okay. Also, Jim, I don't know if we've assigned dates to it, but Universal said this week mm-hmm. that the Halloween horror experience in Las Vegas will open in 2025. And the Texas theme park for kids will open in 2026. So mm-hmm. Universal's busy. Oh, no, no, no absolutely. And, and I don't know if you also saw what Mark Woodbury, the head of parks, was just saying about when Epic Universe comes online, they're looking mm-hmm. to make a transition mm-hmm. for the entire Universal Land Resort where it's entry to the parks and all that is based on facial recognition. I mean... Saw that, yeah. They're, they're moving in some very interesting directions. Yeah, that'll uh, that'll speed things along if, mm-hmm. it, uh, if it works right. But then, I mean, there's obviously concerns with that. So mm-hmm. um, speaking of uh, Universal, our friends over at Screamscape... Uh, have a rumor that Universal is interested in adapting its Universal Cool Japan event for the United States. So this is sort of like Halloween Horror Nights, mm-hmm. but they do it in late spring and with pop culture icons from various Universal 
franchises? Well, not only that, but also Japanese pop culture. In fact, they did a Shin Godzilla thing a, a couple of years ago where, again, it's it's Godzilla getting up out of Osaka Harbor and then coming and eating the theme park. And it was like, I want to get her in a plane. <laughs> I want to see this. <laughs> I need this T-shirt. Yeah. And more to the point, my daughter, Alice, who loves a One Piece, they do this amazing thing with that set of characters, this, this sort of water battle with guests at the park that i mean it really has to be seen to be believed but amazing uh, I'd, I'd love it if they brought this stateside yeah so the idea here i think is uh you'd have walk through houses like they do at halloween horror nights mm-hmm. but with other ip or and this is the idea like mm-hmm. classic no longer here universal yeah. orlando attractions that could I be mean, cool. Disney, why are you not doing this, right? Mm. Well, r- remember, also, there was always that talk about, you know, Disney doing the, in fact, as part of the Play Pavilion, the black yeah. box, the notion of this is an attraction, this is one attraction for three months, and the, the next three-month period, it's celebrating an entirely different IP, and yeah. they talked about it, they just didn't do it. And it doesn't have to be super complicated, like a walkthrough of Horizons oh, no. or Mr. Toad's Wild Ride. No. Or, you know, for Universal, like, you know, Jaws or whatever. I mean, that mm-hmm. would be that would be fantastic. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Also, they're you know talking about live entertainment mm-hmm. that used to exist, like Ghostbusters bringing that back. I think it's just a fantastic idea. Yeah, no, I agree. I agree. And, and again, if you if you hammer on Ghostbusters, the live show for the park every so often, you'll look and go, is that Wayne Brady? And it's like, yep. <laughs> it's true. Yeah. So. All right. Uh, last universal thing. If you're headed to Orlando and you're going to play Minions Blast, you can use the Universal Orlando app to tell the ride who you are. And there's actually a leaderboard at the end of the ride mm-hmm. showing scores by name. And if you wanted to make your name Bacini, B-A-C-I-N-I, which is the name of our friend Derek Hergen's dog, who happens to be 10th right now on the leaderboard, <laughs> that would be great. <laughs> so anybody that's heading down, Bacini. <laughs> I love that this is revisiting the, the what? The person of the century at Epcot. Exactly. Oh, exactly. oh no. I, I, I'm 100% behind this idea. But, uh, you know what? I'm going seriously. next weekend. We're going to play. Okay. Bacini. Bacini. Put that name up there, folks. Exactly. Exactly. All right. And then uh, one quick story. So I was at the Magic Kingdom. I actually texted this to you when it happened, just so we remember. Yes. But yes, the Magic Kingdom earlier uh, last week, and uh, I would notice that a character cavalcade was coming down Main Street, and so I was, you know, in the middle of Main Street, and I turned to you know, like a cast member, mm-hmm. but, but like in a suit, mm-hmm. who was there, and I was like, "Yeah, I can't believe you guys are still doing these things because I, I love them." Mm-hmm. And the uh, the manager was like, "Well, you know why we run these, right?" And I'm like, "Guess satisfaction, mm-hmm. you know, because it's easy, it's cheap." He's like. So many people follow these cavalcades down Main Street and into the Emporium that the cavalcades pay for themselves. And I was like, why did I not think of that? Why Why was that not my first answer? But yeah, so apparently the cavalcades are still around Mm -hmm. because enough people follow them into the shops and buy stuff. They're making enough revenue to pay for the cavalcade. That's crazy. But when you think about how many times you've watched the tail end of a Disney parade and you have those two cast members that are holding the banner that signifies the the end of the parade yeah. or the rope. And that sea of people that follow along behind it. I mean, some of them are yeah. obviously heading out of the park, but some of them are just sort of like, oh, this is cool. I'm watching the show. And then they get down to Town Square and it's like, well, that's over. Oh, the Emporium. And yeah. Hey, a little bit of air conditioning. Let's go do it. Yeah. No, but the fact that they have 
clued into that predictable human behavior. And it's like, yeah, we can capitalize on this, <laughs> you know, so. The thing that the manager sort of implied was the fact that it's not a long parade, that it's relatively short, mm -hmm. means that you can get closer to it because you've got fewer cast members to worry about. And then because you can get closer to it, you mm -hmm. can walk fast mm -hmm. and that gets them into the shops sooner. I was like, God, that's just genius. It is. It is. Holy cow. All right, Jim, let's move on to surveys. Mm -hmm. Jim, you know that we occasionally talk about Disney sending out invitations for one-on-one -on -one survey interviews. And we finally got a glimpse mm -hmm. into one of those for the Galactic Star Cruiser from a listener who <gasps> will remain nameless. Oh, no. So, so this is someone who actually got a personal call, mm -hmm. you know, after the invitation. And, and so here's, here's the interesting uh, question from that first interaction. And it's a chart. And it's mm -hmm. a chart of the activities that you do on the Star Cruiser. Mm -hmm. And here's what it says. Consider your personal story on board the Halcyon. When you met memorable characters, unexpected surprises, emotional moments, conversations, interactions with your travel party or crew, where you spent time on board the ship, missions you participated in, events, and more. Then mark points on the timeline below with a few words that describe the most meaningful, memorable moments that shaped your personal story. What were the one or two characters most impactful to your story? And what characters did you interact with the least? Hmm. And so on day one, it has things like arrival, mm -hmm. uh, the muster, uh, the dinner time, and then the, the, the other events. And same thing for day two. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I was asking some people who, who do surveys professionally, mm -hmm. like, what, what are we going for here? Mm -hmm. And uh, the notes that I got said this, it's, it looks like they're doing something called critical incident technique, mm -hmm. where the point is to try and find the best and most impactful parts of the experience. So you keep those, but then ditch the weakest. Hmm. And so the friend that I talked to said, you know, I don't know anything about this, but it seems like they're looking to retool the Star Cruiser mm -hmm. to figure out how they can condense it to make it as relevant, but as short as possible for these characters and for this story. Wow. So if you wanted to do a one-day experience and cram in just the good stuff. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there you go. Wow. Okay. That's intriguing. Because yeah. weren't we initially assuming there was going to have to be some sort of write-down? I mean, just given Well, the they are. They, they're writing it down. They've already, they've already taken that hit. Okay. All right. But the question was whether they were going to uh, depreciate it all and then open it up as something else. Mm -hmm. And that's where, where we were sort of confused because, you know, anything that they wanted to do would take, mm -hmm. you know, tens of millions of dollars. And the question was, mm -hmm. do you put tens of millions of dollars into a failed concept mm -hmm. trying to make it better and shorter? Mm -hmm. Or do you just use that money on something else? And so I think this is part of that thought process for Disney. As somebody who, who genuinely enjoyed my time aboard the Halcyon, the, this is good news. Also, Jim, and I'm going to, we don't need to answer this question now, but mm -hmm. uh, you and I have stories that we, we have not yet told about the Star Cruiser because it would have affected people who actually work on the Star Cruiser. True. But it closes this week. <laughs> Okay. Could we could we tell some of those stories? All right. You you think about that for next week. All right. Because I, because I, now I, those the those people are still employed by the company, but no longer in that role. So yeah. could we actually tell the stories? Interesting. Anyway. Okay. All right. Okay. Think about it. Think about mm -hmm. it. Mm -hmm. All right. Also, I got a survey uh, from my visits this past weekend to Walt Disney World. There were a couple of a uh, couple of interesting questions on them. Mm -hmm. So just for context, mm -hmm. uh, real quick, I visited multiple parks per day every day for a few days in a row. Mm -hmm. 
So some of these questions are related to that sort of behavior. And so one of the questions is this. Mm -hmm. You indicated that you visited each of the parks below mm -hmm. on a particular day. Mm -hmm. Please indicate the order in which you visited these parks. So I had Magic Kingdom, Epcot, and the studios, and they asked me to list one, two, three, the order in which I visited them. Mm -hmm. And so I suspect this is either a preference question, like mm -hmm. what's the primary park you wanted to visit, mm -hmm. or it's something related to park hopping without reservations. Okay. Like they're trying to figure out if you start in the Magic Kingdom, where do you go next? You know, 30% of our guests go to Epcot, 20% go to the studios, whatever. But all guests use a touch point to get into the park. Wouldn't they already have this information? Like, you know, I know you went into the kingdom. Yeah, it's just easier to get in the survey. That's what yeah, I'm thinking. I, like, look, we could contact IT, but it's a six-month wait to get <laughs> oh, data. All right. We could just ask the survey and have the answers next week. Got it. Got it. Okay. And then the uh, the next question. Did you or did anyone in your party participate in or visit any of the following during your trip? And it lists things like Bush Gardens, Kennedy Space Center, Legoland, you know, weddings, ocean cruises, a bunch of stuff. The one thing that it doesn't list here, Jim, mm -hmm. Universal Orlando. Yeah. Remember, you do Disney especially writes the survey to get the results yeah. they want. You know, nobody in-house wants to actually see we, that. We don't want to know. We don't want to <laughs> yeah. know. But, la, 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 la. Yeah. but what intrigues me about this listing, again, uh, just a, a top five here, uh, yeah. Bush Gardens, Tampa, uh, Kennedy Space Center, Legoland, Florida, and then Disney's Boardwalk and ESPN Wide World of Sports Complex. Yeah. Bo the Boardwalk? Yeah. Like, is this question from 1999? Like, what? And, and more to the point, it's like, all right, somebody's going to the Boardwalk, which means, you know, they're arm wrestling the guard who, you know, again, you know, Fort yeah. Knox should have the level of security that the Boardwalk <laughs> has. <laughs> Yeah, that's that's the sub question. If you if you check the box that says Disney's yeah. Boardwalk, yeah. the follow up question is, how did you get in? There you go. Because <laughs> because we weren't letting you if you didn't have a reservation. The guys who used to stand out in front of Studio Fifty Four, only allowing in the attractive people, let in more people than the the guy in the guard check at Boardwalk. Exactly. Yeah. Like, how are you even? Yeah. 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 So okay. There was some confusion there. All right. Mm -hmm. All right, next question. Thinking back to when you were planning this trip to Central Florida, were you more strongly motivated than before the pandemic to, and you have four choices, uh, experience all that Central Florida has to offer, squeeze more into this vacation, make it extra special, or accommodate the preferences of my travel group? And I'm only pointing this out because those middle two choices sound like marketing slogans. They do. They do. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. All right, on to listener questions. Our friend Shannon Ford writes in with more tips for Mickey's not-so-scary Halloween party, and here's a couple of them. Mm -hmm. The first one is that the spooky music overlay for Space Mountain doesn't start at 6. It really starts around 6.30 p.m. Mm -hmm. So if you want to ride Space Mountain without a long wait and you want to hear the spooky music overlay, mm -hmm. try for 6.30, not 6 p.m. That's good because I actually went right at 6 mm -hmm. and did not get the music and thought it, they just weren't doing it. Oh, Very good. Okay. Also, the allergy-friendly treat options that are being handed out are being handed out one by one Unlike the candy, which you and I have talked about, Jim, <laughs> is being handed out by the shovel for Oh, yeah. Okay. I understand the American Diabetes Strike Team is having work with the mouse. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Shannon did note that you can go around multiple times to the allergy-friendly treat mm -hmm. option, so get as many as you want. Mm -hmm. Also, uh, Shannon points out that staying late has some significant advantages. Mm -hmm. She pointed out that uh, because they did the characters during the first parade, 
They got to Main Street after 10 p.m. They walked up to the hub mm. to get as close to the castle as they could. And right at that moment, around like 10, 15 p.m., a uh, cast member dropped the rope and ushered them into a special area that had been blocked off before. So they had an excellent view of the fireworks. And Shannon points out this is one time it pays to be late for fireworks. There you go. Also, uh, Ariel and Prince Eric had no one in line around 1045. Mm-hmm. So again, if you want to wait out the crowds and then get in some good character greetings... Mm. That's the way to do it. Also, the best time to see the stage show is midnight, which is the last one. And I think uh, uh, Christina from from our team said the same thing. The party's over, so you're not missing out on anything else. It's the last stage show, so it's easiest to see. This is the hocus pocus uh, spectacular yep. thing. I, I, and seriously, this show all by itself is worth admission to the park. You know, for the yeah, this and the parade thing. are two fantastic things. Yeah, there you go. True. There you go. All right, our friend Avery writes in to say uh, a quick piece of feedback on the listener's suggestion last week mm-hmm. for a rocketeer-themed coaster that goes over Autopia. Mm-hmm. The biggest problem with this is the additional cost of equipping every seat with a rebreather to filter out the smog from the cars. Otherwise, great idea. And I pointed out to Avery that in Florida, the official scientific name for engine exhaust is the scent of freedom. <laughs> no word on if California has other ideas. But, there, uh, we yeah. there we go. There we go. Levy writes in with a comment about Disneyland's timing for the closure of Haunted Mansion mm-hmm. in 2024, asking, uh, do you think that uh, the Haunted Mansion additional dates in January might be due to the crowds for Marathon? Yeah. And so the Disneyland Half Marathon is coming back. It's mm-hmm. actually uh, January 11th to the 14th, 2024. Mm-hmm. So I think Mansion will be open for that because they need capacity oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah but then you know it's still you know right around that third or fourth week is when it's going to close so yeah. um you know our previous question about it, it's like a 50 50 chance whether it's uh, going to be open. plan accordingly folks and then uh last thing is andy wrote in with this mm-hmm. on last week's show you give a shout out to plaid sabbath <laughs> if that's not a metal cover band made up of vip tour guides i don't want to live on this planet anymore <laughs> <laughs> Yes, Andy. Absolutely, Andy. Absolutely. Okay, cool. All right, folks, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, Jim tells us about the best Disney fireworks show you've never seen. We'll be right back. Jim. Hmm. Fireworks shows that we've never seen. Yeah, and and you've been to your share of Disney media events, and, and officially you know, and unofficially, sure. Yeah, well, there we go. Did I end up in a trash can being smuggled into the Star Wars event? Maybe, I, maybe. Who's to say? Okay, Who's but say? but you have seen your share, or more than your share, of special one night only fireworks displays. Yep. Didn't you get into the, the the Mission Space press event back in August of yep. 2003? And they yep. did something like spectacular off of the, the, the Mission Space building, didn't they? I mean, yep. yeah, they did that. Um, there was a, a big event for Soren. Yeah. So, like the early 2000s, really the last time I did a uh, an official media event for Disney. Okay. God, it's been 20 years. Wow. Those of us who, who go and do the seasonal events, if you're in, say, the Magic Kingdom on the 4th of July or there New Year's Eve, you get that perimeter fireworks thing. I mean, this yeah, is a big, big show. Yeah. All right. But if, if we're talking about the biggest show that's ever, fireworks show that's ever been staged at Walt Disney World, that's probably the July 4th show that was staged at the Magic Kingdom for the summer of the bicentennial, nineteen seventy six, and oh god, yeah, this one was insane. Len, in fact, Disney knew going into this that we're going to have to front load this. You know, in fact, they they put out word months ahead of time. It's like, look, 
This is the American Bicentennial. And because we know so many people are going to want to see what we do for that night, we're actually going to do celebrate Fourth of July on four nights that they presented at the park, the Magic Kingdom, uh, the second, the third, the fourth, and the fifth of 1976. And you know what was compounding this? July 4th was on a Sunday, so the holiday yeah. was on a Monday. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so, a long weekend with fireworks. Oh, God. And, and not only that, but because it's a Sunday. I mean, people showed up on the actual day of the – I mean, they were there getting into the parking lot at 6. They were outside the park at 8. It reached capacity at noon. <laughs> Can you imagine being in a completely full park at noon in July in Florida? Oh, my God. And the weird part of it is it's nobody's getting on rides because everybody's like, I want a primo spot to watch the fireworks tonight. Right. Now, Bob Yanni, the gentleman who was in charge of entertainment at the resort, he understood this. He understood, you know, we're going to get a once in a hundred years crowd here at Walt Disney World. Mm -hmm. So let's be smart. And so this was the first and only time that there was an adjacent fireworks display. And what was interesting is if you were inside the park, you got a fireworks display. But if you couldn't make it inside the park, you could pivot to Seven Seas Lagoon. I have been chasing footage of this thing forever, Len, because it's like when the fireworks display begins, and, and, and first of all, the actual show inside of the park. I mean, remember, this is the era of fantasy in the skies. Nine-minute-long show, 200 shells shot in the air. I mean, it was great yeah. fun for that time. Okay, yeah. whereas the Bicentennial show, if you're standing inside the park, First of all, it's 30 minutes long. That's a lot of fireworks. 30 minutes is an exceptionally long time for fireworks. But here's how many they fired off. You know, and again, remember, this is for four nights in a row. 2,000 shells. All right. Yeah. <laughs> 60 shells a minute. Yeah. For half an hour. And the grand finale of the show is simultaneously over the Magic Kingdom. 116 shells are fired into the air. When they all exploded, the people on site described it, it was like the sun exploded. Oh, yeah. Well, you remember when they used to do um, holiday tags for illuminations at Epcot? When, oh. And this, the, not, not only would the, the sky appear like, you know, daylight bright, mm. yep. but I'm sure that the uh, seismographs over at the <laughs> University of Central Florida registered, registered that, the yeah. vibrations. No, the it, yeah. it was crazy. But, but now, to pivot back to Seven Seas Lagoon, you know, again, it's not a question of people, oh, I'm looking in the Magic Kingdom. I, look, I, I wish I were in there. It's like, what the hell's going on out here in the water? And it's like, here are 12 power boats pulling people, you know, on parasails through the sky with Roman candles shooting at the back. <laughs> Here are full-size hot air balloons, all right? It sounds like something out of The Simpsons. Like, what's the craziest thing we can do and probably get away with it for just four nights? Like, before the odds catch up with us. Well, the other thing that amazed me is that they took the water pageant out to the middle of the lake and they anchored it. And then from each of those individual, <laughs> and Len, you've seen these things. They are, are, you know, little flat boats. It's the nautical equivalent of a folding lawn chair. Pretty much. And, but they okay. are firing firework shells off sure. from inside <laughs> these Why things. Not? You know? Why not? Oh, God. <laughs> Hashtag so. America, Jim. Hashtag America. <laughs> it was a different age in the 70s, folks. But anyway. I love the idea, though, that, like, you're going to talk to an entertainer, like, okay, yep. we're going to put a parachute on you, and we're going to drag you around seven sees lagoon and they're like 
I, you know, I, I don't really know anything about parachuting. They're like, you know what? You're going to land in the water. It's absolutely fine. There you go. By the way, can you hold these Roman candles? <laughs> and they're like, well, what, well, how am I going to hold them? Like, you know what? We'll just tape them to your hands. Uh, it's it, fine. <laughs> oh, by the way, you know, be sure and steer around the giant hot 55 foot hot air balloons while you're at Did it. Did we mention of- the other fireworks <laughs> that will be going off around you? Uh, but you know what? You know what? The sky is big. Fireworks are small. There you go. You're fine. You're fine. <laughs> They're actually screening people in 1976 like, did you happen to fly on a bomber in World War II? You're okay with that? Hey, we have a job for you. So that, hands down, was the biggest fireworks display ever to be staged at Walt Disney World, but not the most spectacular. That display took place over a two-day event that was staged 25 years ago, Len. 1998. Yep. Yep. And in fact, September 24th uh, was the first date, and I want to say the 25th was the second date. But again, this wasn't staged inside a park. This was actually staged across from the entrance of Disney's Contemporary Hotel on a chunk of open lawn that was along the eastern shore of Seven Seas Lagoon. Who, who's, the, who's the audience for this? This show was put on by Disney, but with the help of the American Pyrotechnics Association. I didn't, I didn't know that there was an association that I needed to join, but now I do. Oh, do I have some news for you at the end of the show? All right, go ahead. <laughs> you need to buy a plane ticket, Len. I'm just saying that. Okay. Right. So that chunk of long, the Seven Seas Lagoon, just a sea of, of white chairs, you know, folding chairs, and a temporary stage set up. This is the American Pyrotechnics Association, which decided to celebrate its 50th anniversary as an organization mm. by holding their annual convention at Walt Disney World. And the APA uh, got started in 1948. In fact, they're celebrating their 75th anniversary this year on September 29th, in fact. Muzzle top, you crazy kids. But it started off seven U.S.-based companies that manufactured fireworks, decided to band together. And it was, you know, it's like, look, let's promote proper pyrotechnic safety, uh, as well as, you know, try to get a hand in when it comes to writing regulations, because, you know, we, we, we want to sell fireworks in a lot of different yeah. states. So anyway, why would the APAA decide to celebrate its 50th anniversary at Walt Disney World? It's The Walt Disney Company is the largest private consumer of fireworks in the world. Oh, yeah. And since they use pyrotechnics on all their properties around the globe, Disney has the most knowledgeable, most experienced fireworks team on the planet. I'm sure. Yeah, Yeah, the APA was, you know, just sort of like we'd love to tap into this expertise. But Carol Briquette, uh, who a longtime fireworks manager at the Walt Disney World Company, actually got asked in 2018, well, how do you get a job here working in pyro? And she flat out said, we prefer people to come in with no fireworks or pyrotechnic experience because we don't really. Yep. Yeah, we because we don't want to have to change their bad habits. We want to teach them our way. We want people who aren't afraid of it. All right, anyway, pivoting back to the 50th anniversary uh, convention, during the day, event attendees, they go to <laughs> panels about new launch techniques. And, and by the way, it was supposedly at the show in 1998 that Disney trotted out. It's like, look, this is something we're working on. Everybody come outside, mm-hmm. take a look at this. They demoed the air launch system. Oh, yeah. Disney did not bring this online in the parks till 2004. But, you know, for 
people in the industry to sit there and watch a fireworks show or shell, you know, fired 1,500 feet in the air and then yeah. explode and just the thunk of it coming out of the tube and, and no residual pollution. It's like, wow, I am looking at the future. Yeah, air, I mean, air launching is where it's at because you don't need to mm-hmm. make the shells big to handle propellant. Yep. Right? Yep. So not only pollution and noise, but it's cheaper and you can put more of the explosive fireworks into the shell itself and not on the propulsion that nobody cares about. There you go. That's a, it's a great idea. Oh, it, it was. And, and again, it was the, that was the thing. People just, you know, just raved about it at this event. But the other thing they raved about is like they got to do things like one group of people from the APA got up at the butt crack of dawn, hopped on a bus, and then were taken backstage at World Showcase where they, they then got to follow four off-duty firefighters. But By the way, this is how you used to get overtime when you worked at Reedy Creek. But these are the guys who went around World Showcase Lagoon early in the morning and hand-loaded 1,105 shells into 750 tubes that were based in 34 different locations around World Showcase Lagoon. I mean, that, that's a lot. Of, that's a lot, an all-day thing. Well, they, no, that's it. they'd start at 7, and by noon, if they were lucky, they were done. But if you were, you know, somebody in the APA and then got a chance mm-hmm. to do have this sort of backstage access at oh, Walt yeah. Disney World, you'd want to do something to say thank you to your hosts. And, and by the way, remember, September of 1998, three years mm-hmm. later, the world changes. And the APA, yeah, yeah. while they came back in 2008 to Disney for their 60th anniversary, they never got this sort of backstage access again. I actually met some of the APA people in 2008 when they were there. Did you really? Oh, wow. Super cool. Yeah. I mean, yeah, no, no. Right. They actually, some of them actually bring like inert uh, fireworks samples with them. Like, my first question is, how did you get that on a plane? <laughs> Like, how did you, because yeah. I don't know if you've ever seen some of the shells, but like some of them are basically basketball sized oh, yeah. pieces of pyrotechnic. Like, yeah. how did you, and so like we're, we're in uh, Columbia Harbor House and they're mm-hmm. doing like a little presentation. I'm like, how did you get that in here today? <laughs> like, what, did you bring in a bag? Like, anyway. No, yeah. that's, that's crazy. It was a different time, Jim. It, it was, was a different a, time. It was a different time. Okay. Yeah. So how do you thank your host for a treat like that? Well, what you do? is you first invite every Disney World employee who works in Pyro to bring their family back to property to attend Disney Rockin' Rockets. This is, by the way, is the main reason that this event is staged over two nights, to make sure that there are enough seats for event attendees as well as those Disney World employees. So evening starts over in the lobby of the Contemporary Hotel Convention Center. Everybody has a few drinks, a couple of hors d'oeuvres, and then they walk out the front door and they, they cross the road and they're now on that lawn we were talking about next to the eastern shore of Seven Seas Lagoon. And everybody sits down in the little folding chairs. And mm-hmm. and now who comes out on stage, Len, but Kenny Loggins. <sighs> okay. All right. And so he, he does a couple of numbers to warm up the crowd. And then as he launches into his 1986 hit, Highway to the Danger Zone, from the, the soundtrack of the original Top Gun, fireworks begin to explode in the sky over Seven Seas Lagoon. Oh, my God. Amazing. But here's the thing. Not just any fireworks. Oh, this is a trade show. They're bringing, they're bringing the special No, that, that, that's it exactly. Yeah. The, the, because again, it's not just the people who work with pyro. It's also the people yeah. who sell pyro. People from China, Japan, Germany. And so it's like they actually fought 
to, you know, I want my product in this show. You know, in fact, you were given a program, you know, to the effect of for this number, you know, that Pyro will be from this song. Yeah, yeah. Well, and this is this is where I heard, like, when I was talking to the Pyro people, they're mm-hmm. like, we're trying to get shells to explode in shapes like Mickey Mouse's head. There you go. Yeah, yeah, okay, go ahead. All right, so you are seeing shells you've never seen before. Yeah, in stuff colors. that you've never seen, yeah, conceptual stuff that, yeah, like, you know, yeah, I, you can build one off, but it doesn't make sense to and build. And for me, you know, what I yeah. love about this is, you know, the, again, the names of, you know, okay, these are the rainbow fan candles, those are the whistling silver dragons. Oh, wait, the crackling flashes are about to begin, and oh, they're going to release <laughs> the glitter mines, you know. <laughs> crackling flashes is the name of my Irish rock band. There we go, right. there we go. <laughs> they, 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 they open for the plaid Sabbath, you know. <laughs> the so. plaid Sabbath, exactly. <laughs> Good one. Nice. So anyway, I need here to talk about Dr. John Conkling, who, by the way, was an adjunct professor of chemistry at Washington College in Chesterton, Maryland, before he became executive director of the American Pyrotechnics Association. This guy had eight patents when it came to fireworks, so he knew his stuff. But anyway, John was there on the lawn across from the contemporary, you know, as the skies over 17th Lagoon, all these spectacular shells exploding overhead. And when he got asked about Disney rock and rockets, uh, a guy who had seen hundreds, if not thousands of fireworks displays over the course of his career said, this show was the best of the best. It was absolutely spectacular. I give Disney rock and rockets the highest rating of any fireworks show I've ever seen. Um, if you were to borrow Doc Brown's DeLorean, which, by the way, is an option that you can explore, uh, you know, the Back to the Future musical open at Winter Garden Theater back on August 3rd of this year. So, and the show's dark on Monday. You could. Oh, so they're, they're, they're not using the DeLorean on Monday. No, no, no. You know, you could, you could do this. But if you could go back to September 1998 and catch Disney Rock and Rockets live and in person, which presentation would you have gone to? The one, again, where Kenny Loggins performed live on stage, or the one where the B-52s and 10,000 Maniacs performed? Ooh, can you imagine uh, seeing Rock Lobster with fireworks? I, you know, just Rock the Lobster. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and again, uh, now, again, what's fascinating, remember, it's different shells on different nights, you know, so yeah, that's insane. Yeah. Two totally different one of a kind fireworks shows exploding of a seven seed lagoon. Amazing. All I, right. So I'm assuming that the American Pyrotechnics Association does this regularly, right? Well, interesting. You bring that up because this month they are celebrating their 75th anniversary and they and they yes they are holding another convention this one is in tucson arizona and it's being held at the weston la paloma resort if the previous pattern holds some spectacular shells will fill the sky around this resort on the last night or so of the the apa convention so if you you find yourself in tucson Mm -hmm. now mind you you're going to have to, you know, make your way to the Westin and go to the front desk and maybe slide a 20 across <laughs> to get some information. Because remember, this is like the thing that happened at Walt Disney World. This was a private yeah. event that it keyed off of a convention. In fact, there were these great stories about people who are leaving the Magic Kingdom 
the night that Rock and Rocket is being presented, and, and they've just been inside the park. They've seen Fantasy yeah. in the Sky. They're happy, you know, and, and they're on the and walk. And they come out and see the greatest fireworks show of their entire lives. And it's one of those things. <laughs> what? What the hell is that? What, you know, what was that? Oh, that exactly. wasn't on the schedule. You know, so. And they go back and tell their friends, and their friends like, you know, I went and I didn't see anything. You must be, you know, yeah, you you're, you're, you're yeah. delusional. Okay, so uh, so Tucson, Tucson, October third uh, through the sixth. There right, we so, go. So if you're in Tucson and you're uh, you're headed to the Westin, mm-hmm. uh, just remember what my grandmother always used to tell me, mm-hmm. and that's that you can get more with a smile and a roll of twenties than you can <laughs> with just a smile alone. <laughs> Very bright Doris woman. was a practical woman. You know, yeah, very bright woman. Okay. So. <laughs> wow, that's fantastic. All right. I'm going to have to go on uh, onto YouTube and look at the past performances here. Oh, and, uh, yeah. yeah if, uh, if we have any listeners in Tucson who can make it out to this, uh, mm-hmm. let us know what it's like. Okay. Okay. That is a great show, Jim. Thanks very much. Just a fun story. And, I, and the irony is I was on Disney World property when this was going on. I was driving Perimeter Road and looked off to the side and like, what's the deal with all the white folding chairs? Is that a wedding mm. tomorrow? Dad, don't worry about it. Why, why should I stop? <laughs> <laughs> I'm an idiot. And now you know. And now, uh, now you know. I know. All right, folks, that's going to do it for the show today. You can help support our show and Jim Hill Media by subscribing over at DisneyDish.BandCamp.com, where you'll find exclusive shows never before heard on iTunes. On next week's show, Jim gives us the history of Peter Pan's Flight, one of the rare attractions that appears in all six Disney resorts around the world. You can find more of Jim at JimHillMedia.com and more of me, Len, at TouringPlans.com. We're produced fabulously by Aaron Adams, who'll be sharing Mima Adams' famous no-bake graham cracker crumble recipe at the 2023 National Banana Pudding Festival on Saturday, October 7th from 10 a.m. to noon only at Mabel's Front Porch Stage in the Ag Pavilion just off Upper Ships Bend Road in beautiful downtown Centerville, Tennessee. While Aaron's doing that, please go onto iTunes and Raider Show and tell us what you'd like to hear next. For Jim, this is Len. We'll see you on the next show.